0: Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. We're still looking at this last week of Jesus' life. We're actually still on the Tuesday. We've been on Tuesday for a long time, but this is it. This is the last last part of Tuesday. So Jesus is teaching in the temple courts. Large crowds are around him. Uh, The religious leaders have decided he's got to go, but they're intimidated by the crowds. They don't know what to do. And so they've they've sent the Pharisees and they've tried to trap Jesus in his words, get him to say something that would be offensive. The Sadducees have approached Jesus and they've tried to undermine his credibility, pointing out some of the, the silliness, they think, of his beliefs. Last week, we saw something that was... Unexpected, a scribe, an expert, a teacher in the law approached Jesus with sincerity and asked a genuine question What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded with an equal degree of sincerity. Today, we'll see uh, we're going to look at two stories about two unnamed women, and they each woman gives. Uh, We might call it extravagant, it's it's just an expression of devotion, an expression of trust. And in both cases, The actions of those women are contrasted with some people who should know better. And so we're going to look at both of those stories, one one from the Tuesday and then one from the next from the Wednesday. So first, let's uh, 12, starting in verse 38. Yep. As Jesus taught, he said this, watch out for the teachers of the law. So that's the scribes. They like to walk around in flowing robes. They like to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. They like to have the most important seats in the synagogues. And they like the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. So Jesus... Again, we saw last week an, an example of a good, a, a good scribe, someone who is genuine in approaching Jesus. He was definitely an outlier. As a group, these guys did not like Jesus. They were opposed to him and, and he contrasts them, their ostentatiousness, their, their uh, hypocrisy with the act of this name, unnamed widow. So about the scribes, he says, listen, they're all, they're all show. They wear really long prayer shawls, so they stand out. Uh, When they walk into the market, everybody stands up and gives them special greetings, rabbi, teacher, master. In the synagogue, they sit on the front row facing everyone, these seats of prominence. If they are invited to someone's house, they, they sit at the right or the left of the host. Again, positions of honor. When they pray, they're not interested in God hearing. It's all a pretense. They just, they want other people to hear what they're saying. And then he points out this picture and he says, some of the most vulnerable people in your community, the widows, they're actually preying upon them. We don't know exactly what they were doing. Scribes couldn't get paid for their work. And so it appears that maybe they were kind of worming their way into the wills of some, that's a lot of W's. They were work, I don't know, I don't know any other words. They were getting, they were uh, ingratiating themselves to these widows so they'd be included in their estate, so that they'd be included in their wills. They would be beneficiaries When they died, that's what they were doing. And then Jesus is in the court of the women. That's where there were these thirteen boxes where people threw their offerings. And he sees this widow throw in these two really small copper coins. There's a picture behind me, actually, from Tim. These are Tim's uh, coins. So plug for Israel. Um, You can. uh, They're called lepta. That's plural lepton. Singular smallest currency in circulation at the time for us to two pennies. That's what it is. It's hardly anything. And this woman throws these two lepta, these two pennies into the offering box. And Jesus calls all of his disciples to him teaching moment. Truly I say to you, that means pay attention. What I'm about to say is really important. This woman, she put in more than anyone else. There've been rich people thrown in tons of money. She put in more than anyone else. And at first glance, that's a ridiculous statement. You could probably say nobody put in less than her. The only way to give less is if you gave one penny instead of two. So very conceivably on that day, nobody gave less than she did. And yet Jesus says she gave more than these people that are throwing in hundreds or thousands or whatever of dollars into the offering bucket. And then he explains a little bit Everybody else, they're giving out of their wealth, out of their excess. She, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. She's giving out of what's essential to her, all all that all that she has. We're going to circle back to that idea in a minute. Flip over to chapter 14. So this is on Wednesday. Now, the Passover and the festival of the unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she's done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over." So then, again, this is Wednesday of the last week of Jesus' life. It's one of those Mark sandwiches. We're not going to talk about the outer ring today. We'll do that in a couple of weeks. We've got the, the chief priests and the scribes who are actively plotting to kill Jesus, and then the rest of that outer ring is, Jesus, is Judas choosing to betray Jesus. But the contrast is between this woman who anoints Jesus' head with oil and, and both of those groups, both the chief priests and the the scribes, and with the disciples who respond to her action very harshly. This same story is told in Matthew and in John, and in, that, and in John, we're told it's Mary. Mary, who's uh, the sister of Lazarus and the sister of Martha, so I'm going to call her Mary, but it is important in Mark that she's unnamed. I just don't want to have to keep calling her the unnamed woman. It's, it's Mary, but in Mark, it is important that she's not named. The, the focus is not on her as a person. It's on what she's doing. It's this, this act. And again, it stands in this sharp contrast to the way the people who should know better are responding to Jesus. She expresses this deep level of devotion to him and the people, again, who should know better, the chief priests and the, 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 the teachers of the law and most importantly, his disciples, they, they miss it. So there's a, there's a banquet or a formal meal. Jesus is there. We know from the other gospels it's primarily with his disciples that one of these formal meals you would eat reclining. There's a picture behind me. It's a little weird for us to picture, but that's why it says he was reclining. They were eating around a table, laying down. Women were not allowed in the room unless they were serving. So for Mary to come in is a big deal. Maybe nobody noticed her initially if everybody's talking and eating, but once she breaks this jar of alabaster, this alabaster jar, that's a, it's a jar with a long neck, no handles. And she breaks it And dumps all the perfume on Jesus' head. Well, I mean, that's a showstopper for sure. I mean, tonight, you have people over. Somebody you don't invite comes in. And they take a bottle of whatever the perfume is. Calvin Klein. I don't know. Axe body (laughs) spray. Whatever people use these days. (laughs) And dump it on the head of one of the people around the table. What do you do? What do you do? That's what she's done. Maybe scandalous is too strong of a word. Certainly unconventional, what she's done for her to be there. Like, she shouldn't even be there. And again, it's a a spectacle. I mean, obviously, you can see it. You can smell it. I'm thinking, like, just pause for a minute and try to put yourself in her shoes, the courage that it would take to do that. And what even stirred her to do that? Does she have some sense? It's just some, we know from John that when her brother Lazarus was raised from the dead, it caused an uproar with the religious leaders. They got really hot and they really seemed to up the the urgency around crucifying Jesus, around getting rid of him. And so maybe she just kind of knew based on what was kind of floating in the air, hey, this is, this is, getting close to the end for him. Maybe she was led by the spirit. Maybe it's some combination of both. I don't know. But the courage that it would take to do that, to be someplace where you're not invited, someplace where you're not really allowed to be, and then, again, this pretty intimate act in a public setting. And then the response of the disciples is horrible. Again, we know from the other... This, this, Mark says, others who were sitting there, we know from the other gospels, it was the disciples in general, Judas in specifically who say, like they they scold her. That's what to rebuke harshly. She's a grown woman. They scold her. They're indignant. They're angry. They're offended by what she's doing and the words they use. Why this waste? Imagine applying that word to anything given to Jesus. Why this waste? That perfume, it could have been sold for a year's wages, 300 denarii, the, the amount of money a common laborer would make in a year. And that money could have been given to the poor. It's like a spiritual baseball bat you have this you have this probably a nest egg for her her that probably represents whatever her future would be financially, probably given to her maybe by her dad or something who knows and and she breaks it open. she doesn't just pull the stopper off and, and dump a little bit on Jesus's head, she breaks the bottle so it's it's all poured out on him. We just sang that song, all of the oil is poured out on Jesus' head. there's nothing left, this one act that she can engage in and they say you you blew it you did the wrong thing you had this precious gift and you wasted it it could have been better spent elsewhere you could have given it to the poor against this kind of spiritual holier-than-thou baseball bat and then Jesus comes to her defense leave her alone why are you bothering her she's done a beautiful thing literally she's done a good work that's what she's done The poor you'll always have with you, you won't always have me. That can sound callous. We know from Jesus's ministry, he's not callous towards the poor at all. What he's saying again, I think he's he's defending her action. He's saying, yes, you can help the poor tomorrow and you can help the poor on Friday and you can help the poor on Sunday and you can help the poor on Monday. This is a once in history, literally a once in history deal, what she's doing. She made the right choice. She did what she could. She's, she's preparing my body for burial. Jesus knows what his future holds. I don't know if Mary does or not. If you're crucified, you don't get a good burial. You're thrown outside with the dogs. And Jesus knows that's what's in that's in store for him. He knows he's going to be crucified. He doesn't, I don't think he knows that somebody's going to, Joseph is going to put him in his tomb. And he's saying, look what she's doing. Like she's she's acknowledging my Death, yes. She's also, you anoint the word for Messiah, that's anointed one. She's acknowledging my identity. And so, everywhere the gospel's preached, this is going to be told about her. Phenomenal story. I want us to look at these two phrases, these two statements, Jesus' assessment of the actions of both women. To be clear, there's zero indication that the widow knows who Jesus is. None. She's giving an offering as a good Jewish woman to, in the temple. She's giving that offering to, we would say, God the Father. And so I, I'm not pretending that she knows who, who Jesus is, but he, he lifts her up as an example. And so we're going to do the same thing. And then Mary, obviously, her devotion is directed to Jesus uh, explicitly. I see these stories as complementary. That's why we looked at them today. Uh, I, I see similarities. We have two women in Mark that are unnamed. Again, we know her name is Mary. Mark doesn't say that. Two unnamed women, each one engaging in an act of giving that's an expression of love, devotion, trust, faith in God. Each one contrasted with the actions of others who should know better. The widow, her actions contrasted with that of the scribes. Mary, her action contrasted with the religious leaders and with the 12, the disciples, specifically with Judas Jesus' response to both of them, I think, confirms, hey, we need to hold these things together. What he says about the woman, she put in everything, all she had to live on. He says to Mary, she did what she could. Literally, that means what she had, she did. In both cases, we have an example of a woman giving everything that she has. Now, the actual monetary value of their gifts, radically different. So the coins that the woman, the widow gave, were 1 64th of a denarius. So she had two. So that's 1 32nd of a denarius. So 1 32nd of what a common laborer would expect to earn in a day. Mary's perfume was worth at least 300 denarii. So her gift is worth 9,600 times more than the widow's. Massive discrepancy. You put $1 in that box and somebody else puts in $9,600 in the box. Perspective. If that woman, the, the widow, If she were to match Mary's gift in terms of monetary value, and so if every week she came and she gave her two lepta, those two copper coins, it would take her over 184 years. That's how long to equal the value of Mary's gift monetarily. Massive discrepancy in terms of the the financial reality of what they gave. The priests could do a whole lot more with a gift like Mary's than they could with a gift like the widow's. But Jesus gives them both the same affirmation. In both cases, he says, what they had, they gave, all of it. And that's the key, isn't it? They gave everything. If we look at the widow in particular, we would say, again, just looking at it monetarily, Jesus says, nobody gave more. And we would say, nobody gave less. She gave two pennies. But that's not how Jesus judges. He's not looking at the number of zeros at the end of the check. He's not looking at the how thick this, the... the, the, the stack of cash is. And he certainly is not comparing her gift to the gift of other people to judge it. He's looking at a gift based on what somebody has as a reflection of what's in somebody's heart, not a dollar amount. And that's how he can say the same thing about a gift that's two cents and a gift that's tens of thousands of dollars. He can look at both of those things and say, both of them gave what they had. He can give the same affirmation. Giving for him, the metric is different. Again, it's not giving based on number of zeros. And again, certainly not comparison. What he wants to say is, what is your giving? How does that reflect your heart? And so, how much of your heart do I have? And how is that reflected in what you give? Do I have none? Do I have a little? Do I have some? Do I have half? Do I have a lot? Do I have all? So in that sense, nobody could give more than the widow because she gave everything. What's more than everything? There's nothing that's more than everything. So he can say she gave more than everyone else because she gave everything. She gave it all. There's nothing more than all. Her all might've been really small, but it's her all. It's a different way of looking at giving. And he can say the same thing about Mary. She gave all too. It's worth a lot more in the world, but it's, it's everything. It's all. There, there's nothing more than that. It's a different metric around giving. Second Corinthians 8.12 says, if the willingness is there, a gift is acceptable based on what you have, not based on what you don't have. It's this idea again, that when God is looking at what we give, he's not, he's not looking at the, the, the number on the check. What he's looking at is what do you have? And what are you giving for? Are you just giving out of excess? That's what the rich were doing. Huge checks. But they were giving out of excess, out of the extra. She was giving out of what was essential for her. All she had to live on. Very different way of giving. And there's probably something there for us. A challenge there from both Mary and this widow. I want to dig into that just quickly as we wrap up these women to me, they're not just a picture of giving. They're actually held up, I think, as a model of what it means to follow Jesus. They're a model of discipleship because both of them give everything. I think that's, Jesus calls the disciples over and says, hey, I want y'all to, I want you to see this. I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to tell you about Mary. He says, this is going to be told everywhere. They're held up as examples for us of what it means to trust, of what it means to follow, what it means to believe, what it means to be Christians, what it means to be disciples of Jesus. I think from Mary, one of the things that we can take, she, she had something. She had a decent nest egg. I think for us, where we live, we've talked about this before, how great the temptation is for us to put our trust in what we have. And that's a temptation that I don't think goes away. I think it's a pretty constant temptation. Remember, that's something that comes at you from the outside. A lot of times it's the enemy. Sometimes it's the world. It, it's not necessarily anything within you. That's why I say I don't think it's going away. I think it's a, that's an easy bullet for the enemy to shoot at us. And in the place where we live, in a place of such affluence, money's in our face a lot. And what I think we think we can do with it, it's, it's always out there everywhere we go. So it's a pretty constant temptation. Jesus says to us very clearly in Matthew 6, though, so you can't serve God and money. You got to pick. You can't, you can't do both. Now, to me, it's not an accident that he chose money. He didn't say you can't serve God and, and fill in the blank with the other things that we struggle with. God and mammon, God and money with a capital M. Money competes with God for priority in our life. It says, I will take care of you in a way that nothing else does. To me, the defense for that is to give. Now that's, there's a lot of specifics around that that we don't have time to go into. In general, I would say, if you're a Christian and you have money, then you should give some. That's what I would say. And I would say you, we, we want to give not out of our excess, but out of, again, what's what's essential to us. But you're giving, it's, it's not a, we're not looking at other people. As your income goes up, your giving should go up. As your income goes down, your giving should go down. You can think about that in terms of proportional giving. I'm not a big tithe guy. Some of you are. I think tithing is part of the Old Testament law that was fulfilled in Jesus. But honestly, the average Christian gives 1.6% of their money away, so the tithe's not a terrible idea for us. (laughs) But you don't have to... There's... The idea for me is it's it's everything. It's does my if where my treasure is, my heart is, then where's my heart? am i Is my giving an expression of my devotion to the Lord? Yes or no? Does he have some of me, none of me, all of me, a little of me? I would encourage you to pray. I'm not asking you this I, there's no no commitment cards. You know, we're not going to clock you before you leave. None of that. I don't know what anybody gives. I don't look at any of that. So this isn't about you giving money to Stonebridge. This is about, again, kind of the condition of our own heart and the fact that our giving is a reflection of that. And to say, is your, it, it, okay, your giving is a reflection of your heart. That's a true statement. So what is your giving reflecting about your heart? We don't need any heroes. You don't have to be a martyr I think that's where that, the other side of that, she did what she could, comes in. A gift is acceptable based on what you have, not based on what you don't. There's some bad teaching that floats around in the church that we give in order to get. If we give to God, then he's gonna give back to us. And there's truth there that we can't outgive God, but it doesn't, it, it's, not a, it's, it's not a lottery ticket. It's not a lottery ticket. There's no guarantees that what you're gonna get back is cash multiplied in this life. And so I, I don't want you thinking that way about giving, but I do want you to see it as a reflection of your heart. And again, that's not a condemnation. That's just a reality. Where our treasure is, our heart is. So where's your treasure? And if our devotion is towards the Lord, then our giving will reflect that. So that's, that's enough of that. I do want to, oh, hold on. It's not, not all I want to say about that. One other thing. <laughs> this, just this, about really, about specifics. So we have, um, we have 19 ministry partners, local, domestic, and international. The Wheelers are one of those 19. I think I saw Scott come in. I don't know if Tina came in. The table on Delcas. Is one. I think there's some, I can't, I don't know who else is in here. We've got 19 people, 19 organizations and, and individuals, families that we partner with. People who say Stonebridge is either my home church or really important in my life. I would encourage you to, to support one of those. And if you're thinking my giving is max, then give less to the church and give some to them. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. Jeremy was talking about missions. If, we're, if we support people who are overseas, our hearts over time become invested in what's happening around the world. Is the church growing? I'm looking back here, Courtney, she's going to start leading Act 6 in, a, in the coming weeks. And every, when you give, a portion of that money goes out the door here locally. I think this month they helped, it was either 48 or 45 people with Rent and um, bill assistance to stay in their apartment, get an apartment, or to, to help with their bills. That's a big deal. Those kinds of things are important. So don't hear me just saying, hey, I need a new car. Give money to the church. I want you thinking about, again, where your treasure is, your heart is. And think about where God's heart is with the loss with the poor, with the least. Look for opportunities to give that way. And we think we've got some with these 19 folks. And you can find those; most of them that are allowed to kind of have their name in public on our website. And if there are others that you want, you can email Kim, Kim at Stonebridge Marietta, and she can let you know some more. Okay, last thing. So this widow, this, is, this doesn't sound great. But I think it's true. If you only had two pennies left... Is there a better place to put it than in the offering box? What can you get at Kroger for two cents? They don't even have gumball machines anymore. You can't get, I don't think you can get anything for two cents. So there's a, there's a part, again, I don't want to undermine or disparage what she did, but there's a sense in which that was the smartest thing in the world to do. To say, all I've got are two pennies. That's all I have to live on. Guess what? I can't live on that. So, God, I'm going to give it to you as an expression of faith. You got to take care of me because I can't take care of me. Two pennies isn't enough, it's just not enough. This is Revelation 3. You've heard this before, maybe in a different context. You say, this is to the church in Laodicea, you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and I don't need anything. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. There's, I think from this widow, if we can use money again as a reflection of our heart, maybe even think about it more metaphorically, we we need to give concretely. But if we think about money as more than just that, this widow to me, she's a challenge to me to say, can you acknowledge your own poverty? And, and for most of us, that's not material poverty. Most of us have more than two cents. I don't know everybody's financial situation, but I don't think anybody's down to their last nickel. But we all are poor. The Laodiceans, they were actually like material, they were us in some ways. Laodicea was on the was at a junction of two major trade roads. or was a huge banking industry, so they had money. They produced this really sought-after black wool, they had a medical school and they produced this ointment that people put on their eyes. That's why he says wretched and poor and blind and naked. Those aren't random words. What he's doing is he's poking at everything that they're relying on. Aunt, you're not rich. Aunt, you're naked. Aunt, you can't help people see. You're blind. The things that they would tend to put their trust in, Jesus is saying, don't do that. You need to acknowledge your poverty. This widow, she says, one of the things she says, again, kind of beyond what we're doing with our money, can we, can you, can me, can we acknowledge our poverty? That's not something that we tend to do. Our spiritual poverty before the Lord. Can we bring that to him and say, like this widow, I don't have anything. I got two pennies. It doesn't buy anything. In the grand operation of the temple, I'm not helping with my two cents. They can't do anything with it. But God, I'm trusting that you can. It's all I've got. For some of us, it's easy to forget our own poverty, to trust in our accomplishments, to trust in our competence, trust in our ability to win friends and influence people trust in our position or our reputation and our career or our family. But to acknowledge, God, I don't have anything. I got two pennies. And the best thing I can do with it is give it to you. It's the best thing I can do. When we hear that, she put in everything, all that she had to live on. We think that's hyperbole. There's no way. And I would say, he's not, I don't, I'm not him. I don't think he's asking any of you to sell everything you got. I don't think he's saying, put in 100% of your paycheck. The people we know who do that kind of thing, honestly, it's people like the wheelers. They quit their jobs. They sell their stuff. They move overseas to serve Jesus in another place where they can't work. But they're not eating rocks and sticks. Like they have money and it comes from people like y'all who are supporting them. That's why I said to do that. The rich young ruler, I think that was the invitation from Jesus. Sell what you have. Jesus had money. Judas was a treasurer. He was stealing, but there was money there. Luke says there were women who were, who were supporting the 12 from their own resources. He wasn't rich by any means, but they were eating. He wasn't turning rocks into bread every night. Like they, they were getting, they had money for food. And what he was inviting the rich young ruler to do, hey, get rid of all your stuff Come let trust me. Trust me to take care of what you need. And he's asking all of us to do that. What would it look like for you, for me, to acknowledge our poverty? Sometimes it's material and there's a sense in which that's almost the easiest one to acknowledge because we feel it the quickest. And some of you have been there. There's more month than there is money. And you know what that, some of you know what that feels like. And it's easy in that moment to say, God, I need you. But What about your poverty in the other areas of your life? Can you acknowledge that? I've only got two pennies. God, I need you here as well. I know I can tend to rely on my charisma. That's not me. I can rely on my intellect. I can rely on my... Relationships. I I can rely on my my hard work and my diligence. I can rely on my discipline. I can. It's it's all nothing. It's rags. It's I'm poor, and I'm wretched, and I'm blind, and I'm naked, and without you, it's nothing. With you, two pennies. It's all I got. I'm going to give it. Let's pray. Ministry teams, you guys can come back. A couple of things I want you thinking about. Bo, you can come on up. So I said I don't know everybody's financial situation, and that's true. And some of you are struggling. And I want us to pray for you, and I don't want you to feel guilty about that. Nobody's going to try to Dave Ramsey you when you come up here. They're just going to pray. That's all they're going to do. And so if that's you... Be honest. That can be a hard thing to admit where we live. Be honest. And let them pray for God to provide for you in whatever ways he sees fit. What I don't want you doing is trying, like he is not a genie in a bottle. I don't want you trying to manipulate him, saying, well, I'm going to put some money in this bucket and that's my, you know, whatever, and God's going to, don't do all that. You just come and receive prayer. I think about those two phrases. They mean the same thing, but they sound really different. She put in everything, all she had to live on, she did what she could. the, The heart of them is the same. Again, what she had, she did. But they sound different to my ears. And I'm wondering who here today, what you need to hear is she put in everything. Maybe you need to be challenged today. Again, I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about your heart where your treasure is, your heart is. Where's your heart? How much of your heart does he have? None, a little, some, half, a lot, all. Maybe there needs to be an acknowledgement there for you from this widow. Put it all in, give him everything. Yes, your wealth, give him your reputation, give him your family, give him your future. Give him your career. Give him your health. Give him your time. Acknowledge there's, it's not much. In the big picture, it's two pennies, but it's what you have. So give it to him. For some of you, maybe what you need to hear today, she did what she could. Maybe that takes some of the pressure off of you. It's the same thing, what she had, she did, but some of you, you're doing more than you can. It's not helpful. You're probably doing it at the best of intentions, maybe not, but probably so. And maybe what you need to hear is, again, just, it's acceptable based on what you have, not based on what you don't. If you don't have it, again, I'm not talking about money. If you don't have it, you can't give it. So maybe relax. Holy Spirit, would you help us? It's one of the major strongholds in our city is around money. We want to see mammon dethroned in our city, in our church, in our homes, in our hearts. We want to live in the freedom of generosity and simplicity and trust. We want to acknowledge that you've also made us stewards over what you've given to us. It's ultimately all yours. Show us what that looks like walked out really practically. We We want to give everything, not just our money, all of ourselves. We want you to have all of us. We wanna do what we can. So God, would you help us? Would you come, would you speak, would you move, would you encourage? God, I do wanna pray, maybe um, not leaving anybody out, but praying particularly for those who are married in here where where money has become, it's a source of disagreement and frustration in their marriage. I pray that this would not make that worse but would provoke a good, healthy conversation today and this week, and you would give grace there uh, for them to discern what you're saying and for them to be on the same page about what that looks like really practically in their finances. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week.